Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a pagan podcast with T-Rex and Braxis Mudai, where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want.
So uh, I think that was A Thousand Phantoms by Metal Horse. Yep. One Metal of their, Horse top band. One of their um, lighter songs, I'd say. Yeah. They had a guest appearance, I guess, by a female vocalist. They did. Excellent job, by the way. Excellent job. That one part where she just does some... Little little ditty. Harmonic. I don't even know why. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like <laughs> some Disney world mixed with some sort of magical in the woods shit. It's awesome. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I saw Metal Horse play at Indie Pagan Pride last year. Well, that's awesome because if you go there again this year, they'll and they're be playing there. again this year. I already know that. That's true. What's the, what is the date for that? It's October third at the Marion is it Marion County Fairgrounds, right? Yeah, this will be the third year that it's there. And so yeah, I definitely got to make plans. Too, yeah, more sooner. bands, more bands. I'm not going to say anything else about it until IPPD does, but I know on the DL. Everybody else now knows. Metal Horse. Pagan Pride Day. Good times. October 3rd. Be there, be square. Hail. Hello, Bractus. Hello, T-Rex. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Just fine. Hanging how was, in there. How was your day? It was all right. I uh, went and saw a elementary play of The Wizard of Oz. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that, yeah. Mm. I was never in a play. Really? Yeah. Really? See, that's no. one thing that we got to do, even though we were raised Jehovah's Witnesses, got to do a little after-school activity, which was plays. We were, me and my brothers were all in musicals and the regular plays that they had. So is it not normal for a Jehovah's Witness kid to be in a play? Right. Um, because... Basically, bad association spoils useful habits. Oh, right, because you're thing. mixing with worldly people. Right, exactly. So you'll kind of pick up on things that you want to ask questions about. They won't be able to answer, I guess. Okay. So, so that was another, I mean, I've said this in the beginning, but, you know, as I look back upon my childhood, my parents were a little more relaxed than others were uh, in that area, I suppose. So it could have been a lot worse. Gotcha. Yeah. I did um, dancing school, but I never was in a play. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. You learned something about yourself, I think. And it prepared me to be in front of people on stage. and. That's true. And all three of you do that. Mm -hmm. So, interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe recitals and dancing school prepared me to be in front of people and do rituals. So. Amen. Who knew? Amen, Ra. <laughs> So, this is our part second two. part, right? And we have both two movies left. Right. Our one and our two. <laughs> I'm and so ready to geek out about this. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. Um, so, let's go right to your number two movie. Okay. My number two movie is Chocolate, which everyone was like, well, it's not a work movie, but... I think it is. And I made you watch it. You did? Yeah. It's um, got uh, Johnny Depp in it. Johnny Depp is in there for mm -hmm. a little while with an Irish accent, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I forget the name of the woman that, that played Vian, but uh, the overall synopsis. Now tell me who, who is the who's Vian? Vian is Vian. the is the chocolate maker. Okay. So, so kind of your main witch of the movie. Eh? Right, okay. right. Um, it takes place in France, I think, around the very end of the 50s or maybe the 1960-ish time. And she rolls into this French village right at the start of Lent. So Catholics. Trying to um, give stuff up, right? Right. So Lent is the part of the liturgical year where... Um, it's a certain amount of days before Easter, and you traditionally make a, it's a form of making sacrifice as a like, kid. Like giving up sugar. Like, yeah, as a kid, it's <laughs> like, I remember once, I'm not going to chew bubblegum. Oh, now wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I guess when you chew bubblegum a lot, that was a big deal to give that up for Jesus. Um, 
And so everybody is very restrictive at this time period. And uh, I love at the very, very beginning when before she's even gotten there, there's this this scene where they're all in church on a Sunday, the people in that village and the wind whips through and blows open the doors of the church. And Monsieur Le Comte is like the governor, you know, the head dude of that little village. And uh, he, Is this... <laughs> What? I recognize that guy as Dr. Octopus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That guy. Okay. Go <laughs> that ahead. Guy. Sorry. Um, he gets up and storms down the aisle and shuts the doors against the wind. And the way I look at it is like nature, something natural. And they're shutting themselves away from it and they don't, right? Here comes nature mm -hmm. um, and what that represents. And she, she is a, a single woman with a daughter who's probably about, I don't know, that little girl looks like she's about eight. And they travel from village to village. Um, and she opens up what I assumed every time she travels and goes to a new place, she opens up a new uh, chocolate shop. And um, everyone is looking at her so suspiciously. Who is this new woman here by herself with this little girl? And what is she doing? And she's renting now this really dilapidated dirty kind of old, I think it was a patisserie. So that's a bakery. And everyone assumes that she's opening a bit up a bakery and she's not opening up a bakery. She's opening up a chocolaterie, you know, a chocolate shop. And right before Lent, how dare this bitch think about doing that. Um, and It's kitchen witchery. Like the whole movie is kitchen witchery. It's about food. It's about the magic of food. And then I think on top of that too, it's this juxtaposition between doing things that feel good and taste good against this. And how uh, wrong that must and be. And how Holy wrong shit. it was. You know, it's like, do, no, no one would come into the shop. She tried to get people to come in, but they all felt like really, you know, we can't have chocolate now. They can't have hot cocoa. You know, one little boy couldn't try this. It looked like a flourless chocolate cake. It looks, you cannot watch this movie without a bowl of chocolate in front of you. I had to get up and go make myself a chocolate, a hot chocolate. I watched it again. Chocolate? Chocolate. Because it, there's chocolate everywhere. And what you learn about Bien is that her story is her father, I think is British. And went on some expedition to Central America to find out new things about foods and medicines and plants there and meets uh, Chitza, who ends up, you know, is the woman who became her, is her mother. And Chitza was, so these people that were nomadic and moved through and they used the cacao bean uh, spiritually and magically. So she gets all of this from her mother's line. And when she was a baby, her father and mother moved back to England and her mother only st stayed around for a little while. But when the North wind blows, she has to travel. That's like in this, in Chitza's blood. And she took Vianne as a baby and they left him. And she's carrying around her ashes the entire she movie. She is. Right? She's yeah. carrying her mother around. So her mother has already passed away by the time we meet Vianne and her daughter, uh, Anouk. Um, and you, it's like she, she does, she has conversations with her. We don't ever hear her mother talking, but she does talk to this very, uh, you know, indigenous Mexican looking clay bowl that holds the ashes of her mom in there. Um, she's got this amazing, it almost looks mosaic, but you can tell it's like a clay painted dish that is not like you put it down and it's almost like a big spinning top. And when mm -hmm. people walk in... It's like a Lazy Susan. Yeah, it, is, it does. It looks like an unstable Lazy Susan. Mm -hmm. And so when people come in, she spins it. And she asks them what they see in the spinning colors. And whatever they tell her, she's able to then divine what their favorite chocolate is. Um, it annoyed me, like the... The, the Netflix description of this movie is so not what this movie is about. It's not about Vian and Johnny Depp. And, oh, my goodness, she can't guess his favorite one. She can't guess his favorite one for a little while. And she can always nail it for everybody. 
But that is not what this movie is about. Um, it's about so much more than that. And I think Johnny Depp might have just been lying so that he would keep, give Can her... Keep coming in there. Right, right. Yeah. A little bit of mystery to Potentially. him. Right, yeah. Potentially. Um, so it's really cool. She's got this neat uh, divination tool to guess people's chocolates. And... You know, everybody there is, you know, wears drab colors. It's a very drab village. And, and here's Vienna. And it's 19, you know, maybe 59, 1960. She says it's 15 years after the end of World War II. So that would place it about there. And she wears these great pencil skirts, you know. Uh, the ladies are going to know what a pencil skirt is. Because um, yeah, I don't. It's tight fitting and just a skirt made out of pencils? No. It's sort of like, I think it's called a pencil skirt because it's very form-fitting you know it's not the big fluffy poodle skirt that was early 50s it's not a mini skirt of the 60s but it's this pencil skirt so it goes right to the at the knee or right above the knee um and these great you know fitted tops and she wears red shoes and she's the only lady in town walking around with red shoes um row row yeah we all know an amazing like 1950s great heel great height red shoes um I think there's also a theme of beyond the magic that's in there and, and, and food, but empowerment of women. Um, she is, she doesn't have no dude with her. You know, she's not dependent on any man, especially in 1960, you know, and she doesn't have a man with her. It's very scandalous that she's the, the, the governor calls her Madame or yeah, Madam. And she says, no, 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 mademoiselle, I've never been married. Like, I've never been married. And but she has, she has a child. Kid, right? So. And they all oh kind of. Oh, my God. Through the whole movie, make a re references to, I'll see you at church and just shit like that. And every time I love the way that she kind of. Yeah, she doesn't straight. go to church. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't go to church. Right. Her church is in her shop. Um, there's a woman. That's the wife of the cafe owner. And the cafe looks like it, it potentially be a bar, you know, a bar owner. And she's an absolutely abused woman. You know, he probably, he definitely beats her up. Um, she's a little bit wacky in the head. And everybody kind of sort of ostracizes her. Here we have another othered person, two more othered people. Um, Josephine is her name. And... She wanders in there and, and she does steal a little box of chocolate. I don't know if Vienna ever knew or not, not that she would care. Um, but she goes, she wouldn't take, Josephine wouldn't take the chocolate from Vienna, her favorite. She'd already because, stolen it. Right, she, she already knew, knew she, she had a piece in her pocket. <laughs> so Vienna goes to go give it to her at the bar. And she won't give it to her husband. She wants to give it to her directly. You don't like that. No, but she does get back there. Mm -hmm. You know, she does get back there and we see her really skittish and she, she eats the chocolate and says, people say things about me. And, uh, and later on she tells her, I don't mean to steal kind of thing. Um, I watched it again after the first time I watched it to prepare for this and she steals in church. I love it. Oh, she's, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, she's in steal? the very beginning. She steals someone's compact, like a makeup compact as her bag. You know, but it's like this woman doesn't have anything. Right. You know, is not given anything. She's never been given kindness. Um, and so she does have a little bit of a klepto habit. But um, it was upsetting when she ate the chocolate that Vienne brought her. And her husband shouts her name. And the actress that plays Josephine does it so well. She is in mid-shoe of this piece of chocolate and the fear that comes over her face and she spits it out. Like she can't even enjoy a piece of fucking chocolate. Mm -hmm. Really bothers me. But I love her journey through it too. It's almost like she's like Vienna's the high priestess and Josephine is the maiden. Because she does end up over there, having left her husband, and goes to the only safe place. And the only person that's treated her kindly, mm -hmm. in, which is Vienna and her daughter. And her husband keeps uh, interacting with the mayor. Is that who it is? Mm-hmm. Who's super, super duper religious. Yeah. Yeah. Like beyond religious mm -hmm. and beyond pious. 
won't even have a croissant with some jelly and butter on it because it's Lent. And this is really ridiculous scene where the, the his little housemaid leaves it on his desk. Like you have to eat something, don't you? You know, and he keeps eyeballing it. And then he like reaches over and picks it up and smells it and then puts it down really fast. Like, Oh my God. Okay. Oh, you know, <laughs> puts a picture in front of it. So Jesus he's taking the idea of Lent and going so fucking crazy with it. Um, and does start to spread, you know, he's like the gossip queen of that village, oh, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Walks into the, the hairdresser's place. Wherever he goes. Yeah, tells all those ladies that he feels so bad for her child. She doesn't have a husband. You know, like, spreads word, gossip about him, talks about her a lot. And Josephine tells her, tells Vian that he talks about you. And she thinks, I don't care if your husband talks about me. She's like, no, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about, you know, the mayor. He's talking about you to everybody. Um, she's not there hurting anyone at all, but I really think she just represents that human, like passion and desire and physicality. Enjoying yourself. And, yes. And they are, I mean, I feel like that even the young priest, he looks like he's 12, you know, he's not even that pious. So another like layer that I liked about it is it's not putting the church really and the religion of Catholicism up against this pagan chocolate wielding magical spells and kitchen witchery. It's how you can take your religion so far, right? right and become this fundamentalist about it, you know? And cause it's not the priest that is her nemesis in this. It's the, it's the, it's the governor whose wife has left him and he's pretending she's in Venice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's harboring all this like resentment towards, I think women and, or maybe her, his wife wanted something more that he wouldn't give her. And here comes this lady that takes what she wants and moves on as she wants and doesn't need a husband. And is all this like, stuff that he, that he doesn't like. And so it's just this story of this, uh, this town that learns how to, I think, balance their religion with their humanity Having some chocolate sauce in your chicken might be gross. And I think that, that happens. You know that? Up, dude. <laughs> no one should be doing that. There is a legit thing. Like Jesus. it's super fancy and I'm sure you have to do it a certain way. And maybe it's something with certain meats, but they were definitely putting some chocolate sauce on that, you know? And Vienna's, I think her journey is that she's used to being so independent. Um, and when Yes, when the north winds begin to blow, she knows it's time to move. And her daughter is struggling because she has no stability and doesn't want to keep moving on. Um, but I think she learns how to let people help her, which is a good lesson, especially for the most, like the independent ladies in the, in the house. You know, I, I, when she is going to move and she's, tired of everyone talking about her. There are a certain few people that she helped, like that couple. Mm -hmm. the, he ate the nuts mm -hmm. and then watched his wife, like, scrubbing the, the tub floor. And he was like, oh, girl. Yeah. And so, you know, people were having fun in the bedroom because of because of VM um, and finding empowerment because of, of what she was teaching them. And uh, when she went to pack everything up and just leave and give up. And which is, she probably does that. That's when she probably becomes such a pariah that she moves on to someplace else. They're all in her kitchen and Josephine is teaching them how to make chocolate and they're there to help her. And finally, the, uh, I think Monsieur Lecomte figures out he's got to like destroy this thing and ends up in her beautiful decorated Easter Sunday window with all this, like this goddess made out of chocolate. What? Let's talk about uh, how did he get in there? He broke in. He did a B and A. He did. <laughs> he totally did. did a B and A. Climbed through the window. So I guess Jesus doesn't care that you break into places and destroy property. Governmental man. Warfare. Theocratic warfare. Yeah, and he starts to chop that goddess apart and there's like Aztec looking gods made out of chocolate and all these bowls full of beautiful chocolate and he's stabbing him, stabbing him, destroying, destroying and then a piece of it gets on his lip and he licks it and he tastes it 
and then he just starts freaking out and eating it like a glutton because he's been denying himself pleasure for so long and he falls asleep like cries himself to sleep in this destroyed chocolate window and she find the priest and vn find him in there in the morning and she's still like she is so accepting and so forgiving and i didn't even mention johnny depp and like the irish travelers so here's all these pious catholic people and the irish travelers come in on the river and they're all again here are these other people these people that are liminal and, and live on the fringe and move just like she does they're nomadic and these village people are just they're dirty and they and they'll steal from you and they make this commission to like not about decency boycotting them yes basically. boycotting their their you know, they're going to come and Even when he shows up with a, his daughter, even when Johnny Depp has his daughter. Yeah. A place that they well, won't she, get yeah, she, I think that's not his daughter, but he's just walking around and they oh, won't okay. let her, they won't even let her in to use the bathroom at the cafe. And so the only person that's receptive to them is Vianne and yes. Josephine. I thought that was great. That was one of the big things of that, that they didn't care. No. You were, you were a human being. Yep. And, you know, she buys stuff from them and invites them. And that, and the, the lady that she's renting her chocolate shop from has been ostracized from her grandson and her daughter because she doesn't want to go to the old folks' home and die there because she's diabetic and needs care. <laughs> and she likes to eat sugar. And she likes to eat sugar, and she just doesn't give a shit, you know. And her daughter and her at odds, and her daughter won't allow her to see her grandson, but they have been meeting there at this chocolate shop. Um, kind of secretly yeah and and so she she instigates I mean it kind of makes all that happen of him doing a po portrait and then he shows up and his grandmother's there yeah and then it's not me that you're doing a po portrait of it's, it's your grandmother right. right and of course her daughter is not that happy about it because she does Vian doesn't know that she's a diabetic but she did her this old rowdy lady that I hope I'm kind of like her when I'm that old but she's just like, I'm going to live how I'm going to live. And I'm going to die how I want to die. And it's nobody else's business but mine. Um, and she's receptive and welcoming to the Irish travelers, too. And so she decides that she wants to have a big birthday party. And Vienne makes a big meal. And, invite, and, and the older lady invites, uh, her name was Armand. And Armand invites her friends, as well as Johnny Depp at the table and Vianne says, there, you know, after dinner, there's no dessert here tonight. It's all on uh, whatever his name was, his boat. And Armand says, anybody that has any complaints can bring them to me. So we're taking this party of people who were against these Irish travelers, and we're going down to the riverside, and we're going to have our rest of my birthday party down there. And so she's, like, healing families and showing people that they can, it's okay to, like, have things in your body that you enjoy and maybe be accepting and loving and accepting like Jesus to people who you are shunning. Um, and then it turns out that one of the fundamentalists of that group end up actually catching fire to Josephine's that, husband. Right. Because he takes something that the mayor says, uh, something must be done, you know, something must be done. So I guess in his nutsy, abusive brain, what must be done is let me go pour gasoline on these boats where people are sleeping and burn this shit down. And nobody dies. Uh, but I think Johnny Depp loses his mobile, like basically his boat is his mobile home. Right. And he loses that. And the, the, the Comte does freak out because that's not what he meant. Um, and banishes that guy from the village. So he does have a bit of a saving grace. Uh, and after he has that experience with this magical chocolate, it does change him too. You know, he kind of calms down. And Doesn't he admit then that his wife basically left him and she's not coming back at the end of that? He, pre he never actually says it. Okay. But there's, you know, uh, Armand's daughter, who's... Uh, the old lady's daughter, who's who they're not getting along, and she doesn't let her son see him. She is Monsieur Lecomte's like secretary, 
and at the very end where that actor's good though because he can have like a douchebag face and then he can have like this really sweet face so his, his energy completely changes at the end of the movie and he realizes he has been an asshole um it says something about uh it it did still take six months for Monsignor Le Comte to ask his uh, secretary out for dinner. So, um, something he's been wanting to do from of course. the beginning. Yes. Right? But uh, felt absolutely. like, oh my God, I can't because can't. of my beliefs. Right, right. right. His beliefs and his wife, he just, just still, his wife is, I think she says to him, the secretary, no one would look at you any differently if you just admitted that she wasn't coming back. You know, so, um, it's great. And she stops. You know, she does stop traveling on the North Wind. She takes her mother's ashes, which did fall down the stairs in a fight with her daughter, but she's like they scooped him up. She releases and frees her mother's spirit to the North Wind so that she can keep traveling, but Jeanne and Anouk can stay planted with people that um, they've developed relationships with. So it's a good, it's a good movie, and it there's some magic in it. And, um, kitchen witchery. It's a good message. It is. Enjoy yourself. I mean, you got and eat five chocolate. fucking senses for exactly that goddamn right. reason. Right. That whoever, whoever gave them to you to do so with. Right. And you're in a universe full of that shit. Full of it. Yeah. You're here to experience and feel whether it be pain or love or pain or pleasure, um, all the gamut of things. And to just, what's the point if you're just going to sit here and that's why we're here. Not have, I mean, yeah, I think that there's something, um, beautiful and magical when you do make sacrifice. So I'm not going to say Lent is a bunch of bullshit. Don't, you know, if you're Catholic, don't give up it. But, it's not meant to be 365. It's meant to be specific and, and purposeful. And then the other times you take um, advantage of the gifts that are around you. Sure. Like chocolate with a little bit of chili pepper. And whatever thing or whatever power. Is, whatever your version of chocolate. Well, I was going to say whatever <laughs> energy gave you these five senses also gave you a world full of a way to experience those mm -hmm. things. So I don't see how that could be construed, which is often is as a bad thing that I want this and I want to enjoy it, which I think is kind of taking the whole point out of being right. alive. It's like, thanks God. Thanks for making the cocoa bean and mixing it with sugar. Good movie. Yeah. Good movie. Okay. Snappity doodah. Hey, get to it. <laughs> I don't mean to snap at it's you. Okay. It's not like it's recording. <laughs> I got you. Uh, so we're going on to my number two. Your number dos. Yes. And this falls in the weird category, I would say. Okay. Uh, and this movie is called Brazil. And But it, it does not take place in Brazil. It does not. It takes place in, in a future kind of society where everybody dresses like it's the 1950s, which I don't really understand, but, um, and everything is super futuristic to the point where nothing works. Yeah. Like everything's broken. Everything. And they have the ministry of defense and the ministry of retrieval and just all these ministries everywhere that do these things. And none of them really communicate with each other in a, in a way that makes it more efficient. It's like a, uh, instead of having a bigger computer screen, for example, they just have these magnifiers that come down in front of the computer that. screen to show you that it's bigger, but they could have just built a bigger computer screen. You know, I thought they did a great job in that movie. Of well, I don't, I still don't know what that movie's about. And I think I've tried to watch it twice, potentially right. three times. I might fall asleep. Well, I think they did a great job of showing that just because it's the future, it doesn't mean that things are going to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and we always have these, you know, grandiose ideas of the Jetsons with flying cars and all yeah. that shit. And, you know, here we are still. 
like progress in the future. It'll be all, yeah. And sometimes I even think like it's 2020. Mm -hmm. It's not better. Aren't we supposed to be getting better? Like every movie we've watched about the future, it's supposed to be getting better. Right. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. I think Star Wars was kind of the first movie that kind of made the future not all chrome, you know, and pristine mm. and clean. Yeah. Um, things were dirty and used and that Grungy. was kind of really new at that time anyways. Yeah. Um, so the movie basically is about one in particular guy, Sam Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they say it. And um, he's just a guy who's kind of caught up in this working for the government type shit. And, but he has these great dreams of him flying around with wings and um, finding yeah. his true love. And always in the dreams, he's like conflict, conflicting with some sort of other side. It's either a samurai or cages and ropes and something that's keeping this girl from him. And it's, I think it's a reflection of the dream telling him that it's this society and where you work and what you're doing that is basically dividing, you know, yourself here. Uh, so it's a microcosm of the macrocosm, basically, okay. I think, that he's surrounded in. Um, I thought the dream sequences were really cool. I mean, you got to remember when this thing was made, and I wish I knew right now because I don't. But well, while you're talking, I'll, was, I'll Google it. Pretty sure it was in the 80s, maybe 81. Probably. I Maybe. recognize that actor, too, but I don't know his name. He's in, like, a million things. Uh, uh, one thing that I noticed after watching it probably the third time is that Robert De Niro is in it. He is? <laughs> yeah. Where? Yeah, he's the he's Tuttle. He's the guy that know. comes in and fixes his air conditioning unit and says, we're all in this together. And oh. He's basically the guy who's fucking the system. And he kind of pushes Sam Lowry in. <laughs> into kind of hey there is a way i don't have to do this i can fuck the system like this guy's doing you know mm -hmm. um somebody else who i just noticed was in it too is the guy who plays the main detective in roger rabbit who framed roger rabbit yes guy, yes i recognized right. him from that too right, right, right. that's funny this is 1985 okay 1985 and i said 81. sam lowry yeah is jonathan price okay um, but basically, it's he in his dream has this woman, his true love, I suppose, that he's always trying to go after. And then he actually sees her in real life. Yeah. And so it derails his entire, you know, concept of, yeah, of life and, and what he's doing. And um, I think it's funny that nobody in the future, like, really knows how to use any of the things. To, even the head guys don't know how to use what it is that they're they're doing. They show many examples mm -hmm. of them just being idiots about how futuristic everything is. Right. Uh, the pipes and stuff for your sewer and for your air conditioning and heating is all on the inside instead of the outside. You know, you can see those <clears throat> pipes going everywhere. Yes, yeah. Everything really did look like it was held together by not even duct tape, like scotch tape. A lot of, uh, remember in the beginning of Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, where he sets up that big, it's called something, I had the Gutenheim This is going to happen, that's going to happen just to feed the, feed the spot. Right, just to turn on my TV, there's an egg that needs to drop, <laughs> and a balloon that needs to blow up and get yeah, popped, and a yeah. rooster that needs to crow, and all this other shit. Yeah. <clears throat> It's kind of like a lot of things are like that, but they always fuck up every single mm -hmm. time. Um, so basically, yeah, it's about him seeing this girl for the first time and then deciding that, you know, with the help of, I think, Robert De Niro, not that he's helping him directly, but he is helping him in his mind to see that you can fuck the system. There are people out there who are doing that. And there are cool people who are saying lines like, we're so you all... Can resist, right? Right. And... So Sorry, he's, that's okay. He's saying stuff like, you know, we're all in this together. You know, I mean, this kind of attitude when that's not really how it is when he works with his employees and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a great movie about that. And what's weird in that is the woman that he really likes, they've labeled as a terrorist. <coughs> Excuse me. And... Um, so there's parts in there where he's trying to help her escape because he knows 
that they think she's a terrorist. She isn't. But the things that he does ends up like catching a guy on fire. You know, all these things that's trying to help her ends up killing people, basically. So he becomes this, the thing that he is denying that she is, you know. <clears throat> it's Weird. I don't remember him setting somebody on fire, but I might fall asleep <clears throat> by then. <laughs> There's terrorist attacks through the whole thing, and instead of actually doing anything, people just bring out these big fold up walls and they put them in between yeah. the scene. Oh, you know who else is in that? Um, so they put them in between, you know, if they're eating at a restaurant and a bomb goes off, they just bring out this wall and set it up so that you don't have to look at it, but you can still so enjoy your you meal. So you don't see it, it's not there. And let's get to the future part of the meal where you look on the menu and it looks like a steak and then you call it by number and they bring it out and everything looks like mashed potatoes just thrown onto your right. plate. And there's even a picture of what it's supposed to be. So there, here's this futuristic thing that isn't really what it is, you know? It's just supposed to taste like steak? Yes, but it's, like but it's this not. Goopy it's this goopy, goopy disgustingness, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yeah, in his, you know, quest to kind of get this girl and get her off the list of a terrorist, you know, attacker or whatever, he ends up kind of becoming one because of all the things that he's going through to do it, which I think is pretty interesting. Mm. Um, it's a really good movie. It really is. They also, um, at the end of it, he ends up in a spot where he's going to get tortured by his best friend. His best friend is this, guy who tortures these terrorist people to yes, figure things out, right? I remember that. And he acts so businesslike about it. There's even a part where Larry, uh, Sam Lowry comes in, <laughs> <laughs> comes into his office and his secretary is sitting there with headphones on and she's just typing away. And there's yeah. a point where he's trying to talk to her. So she pulls her ear plugs off for a second and you can hear somebody screaming on the other line. And everything that she's writing is, no, stop, don't do it. And so oh, it's, yes, yes, it's yes. this guy torturing these people to get this information. But just, I mean, totally disconnecting himself from what's going on there. Uh, who else is in it? Where I was going to say that. Uh, somebody else who's in it is the mom from Who's the Boss. Yeah. I was, right. I'm the grandmother, I, I guess. Her. Not yes, the mom, um, but the grandmother. Yes. I don't know where her name is. Her, I'll tell you one second. Oh, I just saw it. And that's the mom. Because I was looking at the director. Right. And that was with uh, uh, Tony Danza. Yeah. He's really the only. Oh, uh, is, um, Alyssa Milano, who I had a huge yeah. crush on when I was a kid. <laughs> you and let every me, other kid did. Let me tell you, dude, I had like a folder downstairs where I would steal the pictures out of all my neighbors with Kid <laughs> Bop and all that. And I would be tearing them out, folding no. them up, and then putting them in this folder for, you know, my <laughs> fucking spank bank, basically. Great. Yeah. Her name is Catherine. Oh, Catherine Helmond, but I, I don't, Mo, was her name Mona? Yeah. It was Mona. Yeah, it was Mona, yeah, yeah Mona. absolutely. So she's in that, and she's always trying to, she's old, so she's always trying to get this plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery to make her not look so old. Um, and she has this friend who has all these complications all the time, so she looks like shit all the time. <laughs> She'd rather she would have just not tried to get any of that, you know, it'd probably be better than right. for her than what's going on. Um, so it's just a following him through this journey of, you know, kind of trying to live out his dreams in this dystopia of the future, basically. It sounds like it's almost a social commentary about things, the state of how food will be. We're messing that up and, mm -hmm. When none of our governmental systems communicate and work clearly and paperwork out the ass, yeah, yeah. out the ass. Uh, and this Tuttle character is a guy who basically acts like a ninja. This is Robert De Niro. He's basically a ninja who just goes to people's houses who are having problems with their air conditioning. And instead of the, <laughs> you know, actual government official appointed guys coming and do it, he's going to do it on the, on the South slide basically. And um, so they're always after him. So he's slipping in here and there and, and doing his part. There's a great scene in that where uh, Sam's apartment becomes his air conditioning and heating fuck up so much that it's brought these official workers there. 
And the first time they come, Robert De Niro's in the apartment with him. And so Sam mentions a form, a piece of paper. Here we go with the bureaucracy that they don't have. Do you have this? And they, they freak out that they don't have it. And he knows about it. And he's like, well, you got to get out of here then if you don't have that. You know? And so they leave and we'll be back. So they come back and they have, they're fixing everything. His apartment is torn to bits there's no way you could live in this thing while these people are doing this but uh this is the roger rabbit guy mm-hmm. he they both have on there's two of them they have on these uh air suits so it's this clear plastic that goes all over their entire body and tuttle shows up and sam's out in the hallway is about to go into his apartment and they kind of look through the window and see this happening so tuttle takes the oxygen from the outside and the sewage line, so these two lines, he switches those two things, right? <laughs> Turns it on, and then the sewage starts filling up their suits. suits. I mean, past their mouths, and just <laughs> they're just these brown suits walking around, and finally they explode. So even in that, you know, those those guys probably drowned to death on sewage, on you know. Own. So on who? No. Oh, you're ruining Gaia. We have again. There's a dog and a cat in here that want attention, so their negative attention is still attention. So, yeah. I, yeah. I was just looking here while you think about anything else you like in the movie, just to, noticing that the, the director, Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. beyond a lot of Monty Python movies, yeah, yep. he directed 12 Monkeys. And I can absolutely see the weirdness of the of Twelve Monkeys mm-hmm. now, knowing and and really trying with Brazil. I'm just constantly being confused, but I, yeah, I see that connection. Fear and Loathing too. And oh yeah, that was a good flick too. Yeah, he he directed that. That also had Johnny Depp in it. It did. Uh, that was about uh, Hunter Thompson. Guess what? What? He also directed one of your other movies. No. Time Bandits. Oh wow, that's in my. Uh, at the end, I'm hoping to do kind of a honorable mention on the end of this, but that is one of my oh, honorable oh, mentions. Oh, I, I blew it. I forgot you were going to make Time Bandits. And yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's totally okay, but that's one of those movies that I won't mention now. But okay. Time Bandits, yeah. really cool movie. He's directing a lot of things. Wow. Okay. That makes sense that I like that movie. Then. Yeah. So in the end of this thing... You know, it's him trying to buck this system to get with this chick, and this chick at first doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, I should say woman, and this woman doesn't want anything to do with them, but he ends up getting in there, you know, gets, gets her to trust them and trust each other. But because of the government and all these ministries of whatever, he ends up fucking it up. And so at the end it becomes, he's in the chair where you're about to get tortured and it's his buddy who's about to do it. And the person who's doing the torturing, his friend, I think it was Jack's his name, they wear these like Japanese baby masks so that you can't see who the person actually is. But because Sam was Jack's friend, he knows exactly who it is. They both know who each other is. They're both being videotaped and recorded. Right. So, so it's yeah. it's kind of this crazy thing of what am I supposed to do? This is my friend, but this is my job. And if they don't if they see me do anything that shows, you know, some restraint, you know, it, it's it's your job and your life livelihood. Something else they do in this movie, which reminded me of um, the, the Salem witch trials, mm. is everything that they tortured you with, they charged you for, or they charged oh, your family for. Yeah. So there's a scene in there That's where, money. yeah, um, Sam's putting this big body sack and basically just pulling through ropes in front of each one of these desks. He doesn't even really get the chance to say anything. They're just telling him all this bureaucracy of shit and how much he's going to owe. And if you would confess, you know, you wouldn't owe as much. And just this crazy scene that kind of reminded me exactly of that. So it gets down to that point where he's in there, get, you know, about to be tortured by Jack and Jack doesn't want to do it. And Sam doesn't want him to do it. So they have, they're trying to have this, conversation he's got this japanese baby face on and everything very cool scene very cool scene uh and then tuttle shows up to the rescue and it ends up in the end that you see 
Sam, who's been after this woman, now has her love and they have found a place outside of society. Every single road in this has billboards all the way you know, up and down the lanes so that you can't see out the outside world. It's just billboard upon billboard, like building a wall basically on each side of the road. And there's this, you know, kind of apocalyptic world on the outside of that that nobody wants to ever address or look at. So in the end, they somehow find a place somewhere where they settle down and they you know, they're in love and now they can have this new start and it's just the two of them and they're in the wilderness away from the future and it's dystopia. But you find out that Jack has actually given him a frontal lobotomy. And so he's sitting in the chair at the end, just kind of repeating this same phrase. I think he's actually humming the Brazil song. And so in some sense, he made it to get with this girl. I mean, his dream came true, but in the other sense, in reality, he's basically a vegetable now. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Everybody watch that. But it is a great, great film. I, I don't, I know that you sad. were confused in it. Yeah, yeah, kind I of. I think but... movies like that make me nervous. Like, they get, and it's a probably supposed to, you know? Like, there's a lot of, like, What's happening and all this everything is falling apart and like it gives me anxiety and maybe i just turned that off and chose to fall asleep. well what's cool is they give you both of the ends yeah you get the part where he a uh, happy ending it. where i made it with my girlfriend and everything but also the disgusting ending that you didn't want to happen where yeah he's fucked he's yeah. his brain has been taken out through his nose and <laughs> <laughs> it's done you know hey. But uh, very good flick. I, uh, that's my number two. Do it. Is there anything else that I have to say about that? Um, I mentioned Mona, Doc, um, Robert De Niro. No, I, I think that's it. Oh, well, the idea that everyone has looked, if you're not doing what the government wants you to do, you're a terrorist, basically. Oh. And so it is that idea that everybody on the outside must be a terrorist. And Sam even accuses his girl, the woman of his dreams of being one because she picks up a package, but it ends up being like a Christmas present. Uh -huh. But the whole time he's trying to figure out whether it's a bomb or not. And as a matter of fact, wherever they go, I think a shopping place, a bomb goes off and he accuses her of, I knew it, I should have known, you know, but it wasn't her. So it's also this... Um, this breeding of fear, you know what I mean? That you can't trust, you know, even your dream woman, basically. Mm -hmm. But he could have. It was just the society that made it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, it does really sound like a lot of the director or the writer making a lot of commentaries about the world in a really artistic way. Mm -hmm. It's a good flick. I All recommend right. it. That was my number two. Number dos. Mm -hmm. So let's have a song. Again, since this is a part two, it's Metal Horse Night part two. Sweet. And what are we going with now? Are we going to go with, um, I think this song's called Lumbering. Lumbering by Metal Horse.
So now it's just me, T, here by myself after quite a difficult recording session. Braxis and I are really just figuring out how to podcast, really. And before we bring other people on and talk about things that are a bit more in depth, we wanted to figure this out for a little while. And so this episode is only going to have our second favorite witchy, weird, pagan-like movies, saving our top movies for the final part three episode. So please just bear with us. If you are enjoying the podcast, it would be wonderful if you subscribed through the service that you're using, be it Anchor, Google Podcast, Overcast, Radio Public, however you listen, Spotify even, because that will help us populate in the searches. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in a couple of days. Bye.